it wasn't a campaign. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't it wasn't mm. a campaign with like uh, uh, four goals that were going to be accomplished through this particular strategy. It was a space, right? Um, and it mm-hmm. was a space in which lots of different campaigns were possible. Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast live stream here on a Sunday back at your regularly scheduled football slash nap slash early to bedtime. What's up? I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. You've seen me on Instagram and been like, where do I know you? Uh, We've got such a good show for you today. I'm super excited Two amazingly talented and funny and also good friends of mine are going to be joining me to talk about the 10-year anniversary of Occupy Wall Street. What has been the legacy of that movement that pretty much no one predicted? Um, We've got musician and social justice educator Sonny Singh in the house. He's going to talk about what it was like to be in Zuccotti Park, as well as Mr. Nato Green is here, of course. Uh, He was actually on tour touring a stand-up show. So he is going to be talking about what it was like around the country, sort of absorbing all of that energy 10 years ago. And where is that energy gone? Have you heard about Occupy Wall Street? Do you know what it is? Do you know that they are our ancestors, our forefathers to the forthcoming revolution? TBD. All right. But for now, also, I want to let you guys know that if you're listening as a podcast, something that you can do right now to help out is to give this podcast five stars on iTunes. Helps people find me, uh, follow the podcast, uh, get their, you know, like political comedy slash news slash whatever the hell we're doing here uh, every week. So give me five stars and write something sweet. And also, this show is supported by you guys and you guys alone. Um, we don't have any sponsors. Uh, we don't, I'm like, no one is dropping off duffel bags of money. Uh, freshly laundered, which, you know, like one can dream, right? Patreon.com slash habituation room is where you give me your duffel bag full of $2, $5, $10 gets you a shout out. 20 bucks gets you a free piece of merch after three months of being on that tier. Thank you everyone who's joined and we're going to do the fart song after. That's right. A little bit later on in the program, I'm going to give you time. And the reason you need to be a patron right now is because we have bonus episodes. Every single week, we're doing 15 extra minutes uh, about a topic of our choosing. In this case, we're going to extend our discussion on Occupy Wall Street. So you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss these these brilliant brain dropping. So get on over patreon.com slash bituation room, even a book. A buck will get you access to that, baby. Um, and with that, let's dive into this week. Oh my God, so much happened this week. I was, a lot of you might have seen me on the damage report. I stood in for John, like, I don't know how, like a bazillion times, like five times this week. I was on TYT. I feel like so much happened, too much news, uh, but we got to boil it all down. Um, but first, let's talk about what we're bitching about. This is What You Bitching About. Okay, so mine is very specific. 
Um, but it was my favorite clip of the week. Um, if you all missed, uh, Bill Gates, um, not lizard person, not dude who uploaded Windows XP into our bodies via the vaccine, um, very much uh, not controlling us through a little remote, although wouldn't he like to? Um, but Bill Gates was on PBS, the PBS NewsHour with Judy Woodruff. And he was there to talk about his, you know, the vaccine rollout and sort of the global health initiatives that he's done. Um, and embedded in that discussion was a surprise convo about none other than his former friend, Jeffrey Epstein. That's right. And the two of them, they were homies. They knew each other. Uh, actually, Gates went on the so-called Lolita Airlines, which is Epstein's private plane that he took over to Pedo Island. Once again, Epstein, uh, you know, a uh, giant POS um, sex trafficker. And look, if you used to be friends with a sex trafficker, um, you might want to have a better line than the line that Bill Gates gave Judy Woodruff on this show. Let's just take a look. It was reported that you continue to meet with him over several years um, and that, in other words, a number of meetings. Um, what did you do when you found out about his background? Well, and, you know, I've said I regretted having those dinners uh, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing new on that. Is there a lesson for you, for anyone else looking, looking at this? Well, he's dead. So, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Uh, what? Excuse, excuse me? He's dead? That's your answer? What's the lesson? Well, he's dead. Twist invisible mustache. Excuse me. Don't say that. Of all the things you could say about your time with Jeff Epstein, don't say well, there's no lesson because he's dead. You're a sus old billionaire who many people actually think did put microchips in our bodies, which he didn't. But don't don't fuel the flames and the fire by saying, well, he's dead. No, just say, yeah, I learned my lesson. Do some background research on people. Maybe when they've been convicted of trafficking, don't hang out with them. My bad. Oops. Like anything, just play Britney's Oops, I Did It Again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just like shuffle off screen. Like that would have been better than Well, He's Dead, because as we know, that death was a little sus in and of itself, right? I guess we're not supposed to talk about it because, you know, ostensibly committed suicide. And, uh, you know, that's all, folks, I assume. But then you got dudes like this with those kinds of things. And my brain starts moving. Anyway, just very funny. Uh, also, apparently, Melinda Gates did leave Bill Gates, I'm sure for a whole host of reasons, you know, selfish lover, etc. But also, apparently, because of his relationship with Epstein, which clearly he doesn't feel bad enough about. Um, but just bitching about that ridiculous moment. Because, homie, homie. But let me bring in my guest for the hour. He is a regular here. You all know him and love him. He's a labor organizer, a stand-up comic whose albums, The Whiteness Album and The NATO Green Party, can be found on Bandcamp right now. Please welcome NATO Green. What up, bitches? Is that what you call your fans? <laughs> 
Yes, okay. but it's a soft th. So how do you say biz? <laughs> it's bishes, I think. Oh. You'd be swimming with the bishes. That's oh, what. Okay. That's what Gates basically. So said. obviously, I'm in a subterranean layer. I'm in an undisclosed location today, but there are bongos. So hell yeah, or whatever these are. I don't even know. Silver lining drums. drums. Um, what are you bitching about today, Nato Green? Uh, the homeless crisis in San Francisco. Today, I was walking down the street. Um, we, San Francisco has about, uh, 8,000 homeless people. They're not getting their needs met. I saw a homeless woman sitting on the sidewalk with her dog, which is not an uncommon sight. The uncommon sight was that she was covering her dog with arugula. Um, like, <laughs> like, 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 like a chia okay. pet, but with arugula, yeah. it's just c- yeah. covered, coating the dog with arugula. And, uh, <laughs> of course, yes. I'll anticipate your question. Yes, it was organic. It is San Francisco. Thank God. Yes, it was already triple washed. It was it was baby triple washed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So baby arugula. Sometimes you do have a lot of arugula. Like in her defense, it kind of goes bad after a while, and you kind of don't know what to do right. with it. And you're just like, should I like spread this on a wedding aisle? You yeah. know, like. And and obviously it goes without saying. Like I'm walking down the street, I see this situation: a homeless person covering a dog with a leafy green and. You know, I'm I like I know my way around a uh, produce aisle. I, I there was no hesitation. Is it frise? Is it mizuna? Is it microgreens? Is it spring greens? Is it a uh, butter lettuce? If it was frise, I don't know if that person is unhoused because yeah. that's expensive. So is it radicchio? Is it endive? Is it escarole? Like, but no, I, I I is it watercress? Is it dandelion greens? Is it sorrel? I just look at it. I was like, it's fucking arugula. Keep it moving, NATO. <laughs> <laughs> I really need your public comment about this, yeah. like the ho- how, <laughs> the housing crisis in San Francisco, also leading to an arugula shortage. Yeah, do you know it is so dire? This the the people's needs aren't getting met that they're being reduced to covering their dogs with arugula. It's that bad, everyone. <laughs> I feel like, though, there is always that moment where you're like, you need to keep it moving, but you also just want to see how it plays out, you know? Right, well, and I, like, it, yeah, and, and, and I, like, I was talking to somebody else about this today, uh, like, I don't, uh, I don't know if you have been, like, seen this about me, but I'm someone that, like, people just start talking to, like, I'm big into talking to strangers. Yeah, but that's on yeah. you. One hundred and fifty percent. But I'm someone. But yes, go on. Yeah, I I end up having conversations with strangers often, and so because I'm somebody who's just like re- ready to have a conversation with a stranger, it, like, uh, and I don't go, go through the city being particularly scared or feeling unsafe, uh, uh, unlike sure. some people apparently. Um, uh, I like like it often happens that ho- like homeless people will start talking to me. But then, then, like, and and I, it'll take me a minute to figure out. But I'm friendly, so I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I didn't understand. Oh, heroin? No, I'm good, actually. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I thought you were asking directions to the BART station. Oh, you're just offering me heroin. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I miss I misheard you. I I definitely once like I was about to give this dude money. Cause he like commended me on my parallel parking job. And I was like, thank you. Um, so of course, you know, and he was in the middle of shooting up and I was like, 
wait a minute. And I, I felt bad. I was like, I think I still gave it to him, but I was like, you need to, you need to help yourself, sir. Like, I know there are not enough services in this town, but I was very much like, people are like, yeah, they're just going to use it for drugs. And you're like, yeah, here you are. Thank you for the compliments on my parallel parking. Use that for drugs and please get clean or do them safely. I I am so I was so naive at one point in my life that there was one there was like at some point I like was going into the tenderloin and I parked and I got out of my car and there was like a bunch of homeless I don't know if they were homeless people sitting on the sidewalk shooting up and mm-hmm. I'm so naive my first thought was like huh I didn't realize there were so many homeless diabetics. Uh, and then I was like, oh. Was like the weird game of Mahjong. Oh. <laughs> God. Bless your little heart. Uh, and now he's the mayor of San Francisco, everybody. Um, we we got to get into a week uh, or a week or the week. A lot of things happened. Here's my quick rundown. Uh, Franny got no sleep, so excuse all of this. But a lot of things happened. CNN anchor Chris Cuomo's former boss revealed that he – grabbed her ass in front of her husband at a party, but she still hopes that he will keep his job and use his platform to raise awareness about sexual harassment. Yes, he will, by never raising the issue of his brother's sexual harassment. Uh, Representative Lauren Boebert sent out a press release calling to impeach Biden. Ooh, extra, extra voice crack on the impeach Biden rather than impeach Biden because the Second Amendment does not protect against dumb. George, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act died in the Senate, and we're still waiting to get body cam footage from Senators Cory Booker and Tim Scott to understand the exact circumstances. Uh, and Congressional Progressive Caucus Leader Pramila Jayapal tells media and Congress, try us when it comes to whether or not progressives will tank the infrastructure bill if they don't also pass the reconciliation bill. And finally, Joe Biden speaks to the world of the United Nations, and somehow it doesn't open with a resounding, my bad. For everything else, this was the week where. So this was the week where, after six months and $6 million, the Republican-backed audit of the 2020 Arizona presidential election results in Maricopa County came back to reveal that not only did Joe Biden, yes, win the county, but he won by 360 more votes than the official election board had certified. Uh, the people who carried out the audit were, was a group called Cyber Ninjas, run by a Stop the Steel cultist who had never conducted an audit in his life. And they had been stalling with the release of their findings for months and months and months, kept on delaying it. Um, and that is on top of the fact that... Uh, even though the review was sanctioned by the GOP-controlled Arizona Senate, it was funded by $5.7 million in outside money, much of which came from conspiracy theorists, including $3.2 million from Patrick Byrne, the former CEO of Overstock.com, and an additional $1 million from a nonprofit founded by Michael Flynn. And yet, they just verified the official elections results, but even worse, less in their favor. So, like, in a way... Cyber Ninja did a good job. They did a good audit, uh, even though now Congress is requesting that they appear in a committee to explain their methodology, which is going to be some real good C-SPAN. Um, my favorite part about this entire grift, though, is uh, not only that it backfired, but that 
they're still trying to spin it. So they're claiming still that there was a problem with Arizona's election software, even though all of their audit confirmed that the election software was actually doing a fairly good job. And of course, no one is more mad than Donald Trump, who's taken to his MySpace account, the only thing he's got left, uh, to call for the election results in Arizona to be decertified. Like, bro, you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't just be like, um, I went through your phone and confirmed that as you said, no, you're not cheating on me with that girl from CrossFit. But given that, I am breaking up with you for infidelity. Also, I'm cheating on you. Anyway, bye. Like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. NATO, did you see this audit? If you ever heard any whispers of it, did you see it going this badly? Uh, I mean, I just feel like like we're in this moment of, I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, this moment of like just general collapse of democratic institutions. It makes it so upsetting. It makes me have to put my hands on my big forehead. Um, like both hands on the forehead because it's like there's the audits, there's the challenging the election. That's the logo for the show. Uh, yeah, but you don't have – I have like seven times as much forehead as you. Um, True. So uh, there's the you know challenging the elections and the voter suppression, and then they do recalls. It's like it's just never-ending. Like no one wants to admit that it's possible for them to lose fair and square. Uh Mm-hmm. It, like so, and it's it you know it would it like it, can you imagine if Trump actually apologized for this? Do you know what I mean? Like how shocking that would be if Trump was like, "Huh, I stand corrected. I made a mistake here. I said that the election was stolen. It wasn't stolen. I apologize for inciting a coup d'état on January 6. Carry carry <laughs> on, everyone. Yeah, can you stop? the subpoenas and lawsuits now? Yeah. No? no? Uh, okay. Well then I guess I'll run for president again. Um, yeah, no, it is, you know, look, they're all, the Republicans are just looking for ways to pass even more voter suppression bills this time in Arizona. Um, this won't deter them. Like, even though the Republicans are like, yeah, cyber ninja kind of was bad and they didn't know what they were doing. And, uh, I guess we kind of wasted taxpayer money on this. Uh, but anywho, um, you can only vote between the hours of 1230 and 1.45 p.m. Bye. Like that's that's like their that's going to be their takeaway from all this. And so I'm just going to go to uh, this is the Maricopa County recorder, Stephen Richer, um, who said this means basically the, the audit results mean that the tabulation equipment counted the ballots as they were designed to do and reflects the result of the will of the voters. That should be the end of the story. Everything else is just noise. Oh, but wait, uh, actually, that was actually Maricopa County board chair, Jack Seller, excuse me. Uh, but wait, there is more because now Trump is throwing a big enough tantrum that he is making governor Greg Abbott of Texas do another audit in four counties in that state um, because Abbott is a Marvel villain in the MAGA world. He, he That's what he wants to be, so he's going to do it. Um, and I just really – I think Cyber Ninja's like they were about to shut down, but now they're like, all right, well, if we're needed. We'll keep auditing. We'll keep auditing. They're going to have a hotline. It's going to be very Ghostbusters. 
And here's my bad rendition. It's going to be like, your candidate lost the presidency. Who are you going to call? Cyber Ninja. No? All right. Uh, you're you're, you're, right. you you're like Ray Parker the third. I know. Uh, I, I mean, like what's most terrifying, like it would be comical, except that Trump is probably going to run again. You know, and like, can you imagine? I mean, I just like every day I get on my knees before bed and I pray to baby Jesus that his colon will explode during in the middle of a speech. Um, <laughs> baby Jesus's or no, no, Trump's. Trump's right. Yeah, the Trump's colon will explode and it, then he'll uh, and, and then he'll uh, just be, you know, like like I, I sort of I, I can't believe that he's healthy enough that he's going to last another three years. Um, but uh Hate is a hell of a drug. Hate is a hell of a drug. Like it like imagine, you know, we all think about like, oh my God, what are the secrets? Like self-care. Like how do you, you know, you know, like put down your phone before bedtime and don't drink before, you know, too late in the day. Try to limit to a couple times a week. You know, all these ways to like exercise 30 minutes a day at least. Or just be insanely racist and xenophobic and sexist and commit a few attempted rapes. Like maybe that's, is that the secret to living long? Just being terrible? Right. You remember those stories about like, like, you know, a guy on PCP would like lift a car. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you don't need PCP. You just need to be high on white supremacy. Uh, <laughs> and that'll, it's, oh, we found the fucking, you know, secret of eternal life and it's racism <laughs> it'll just keep you running forever there should be like strongman contests but just like yeah people who are high after like listening to like a clan rally oh i feel like that's what january 6 was um all right we gotta move on next story Boo-doo. screen wipe this is the week where uh, House Democrats seem not to be able to agree on much of anything when it comes to the well-being of Americans. But when it came to the well-being of Israel, it was not a problem. Just four months after Israel waged an all-out assault on the people of East Jerusalem in the Al-Aqsa Mosque and then in Gaza, killing 129 people, the House authorized an additional $1 billion to Israel's rocket defense system, the Iron Dome. Also my nickname for my anti-vax hairdresser. Um Progressives had successfully taken out the funding from a short-term government bill. So, like, they passed this short-term funding bill for the government. And the Iron Dome funding was snuck into that. They delinked that successfully. I thought you were going to say the Iron Dome was what it's called when Ultron gives you a blowjob. <laughs> or when... Uh, Technically, Vibranium Dome, but... Hell What's yeah. What's up, Marvel fans? That's, some, that's good. You, you come in like 15 seconds flat. Um, no. So I was getting into the wonky part, NATO. Oh, oh my sorry God. Sorry to cut you off. Talking about blood. The job. reason... Yeah. The reason this bill was even... That it even existed is because it was separated off from this other emergency funding bill. So they were like, well, we have to fund Israel somehow. So even though we already do, let's pass this thing. Now, the vote succeeded, so not even close. 420 congresspeople in favor, nine against, so eight Democrats and one Republican voted against. Two Democrats, Hank Johnson of Georgia and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, voted present. And that is surprising because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been really on the forefront of this issue. Um, 
And she also criticized Tulsi Gabbard's 2019 present vote during Boss Baby's first impeachment. And so she said, our job is to lead. Why are we voting present? And then she votes present. Now, AOC obviously has a lot of thoughts on this. She put out an entire statement. It was very, uh, very, you know, iOS notes, a note to our New York 14 constituents from Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It was quite long. She says that she thought the process was unjust. She says that there wasn't meaningful consultation with her community. She wasn't able to have that consultation. She said it started getting like very hateful. They're vitriolic. It wasn't clear what she meant in the statement by like who was doing the hate, who said what. But I think we can we can have a discussion about what we imagine happened. I want to read you two parts of this. AOC also said that she wept, that she wept. Uh, at the complete lack of care for human beings that are impacted by these decisions. I wept at an institution choosing a path of maximum volatility and minimum consideration for its own political convenience. And I wept at the complete lack of regard I often feel our party has to the most vulnerable and endangered members and communities because death threats and dangerous vitriol we'd inevitably receive by rushing such a sensitive charge and underconsidered vote weren't worth delaying it for even a few hours to help us do the work necessary to open a conversation of understanding. Okay, I'm not going to lie, still a little vague, still a little vague on the deeds there. Um, But she says, the damage of the careless process created a real spillover effect in our community. It created a sense of panic and horror among our community who otherwise would engage thoughtfully in these discussions. It fueled the discussion to devolve into a point where it became clear that the vote would be a risk of severe devolution of the good faith community fabric that allows us to responsibly join in a struggle for human rights and dignity everywhere from Palestine to the Bronx and Queens. In short, the rush of the vote, no matter how many hours, was threatening to tear our community apart and permanently close the doors that we desperately needed to open in order to progress. Okay, also vague, but basically she wasn't able to get her constituents on board, it sounds like, that some of them had a lot of reservations. And that makes sense, given the fact that, like, there is a huge Israel lobby, pro-Israel constituency in New York. That is known, right? You, It's very difficult to excel as a politician in the New York area without very much being beholden to the Israeli lobby, beholden um, to a far-right um, Jewish community. I'm not saying that the entire Jewish, Jewish community is is as um, pro-occupation and pro-human uh, rights violations as some, but those with money are. That's my read on what all that means. But of course, people on the left are hella pissed, People on the right, I was screenshotting some of these tweets. They're just super mean and mad. FAOC, of course, she's going to say this because she's anti-Semitic. But Nato, what was your read on that as you slowly drift away from view mm-hmm. into a basement mm-hmm. and bongo drums? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, we're talking... I'm a comedian being asked to talk about Israel. Goodbye. <laughs> no, it's uh, later. I want to get booked. Uh, so don't kill my career. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, I mean, here's what I really wrestle with. It, I mean, okay. So obviously, Israel's an apartheid state and fucked up, uh, and the U.S. gives lots of money to them. I feel like. AOC's statement was not particularly helpful word salad because it didn't explain why she voted present instead of no. Uh, 
with yes. Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley. And it also, it's like, you know, what do you, like, I'm not, it's going to tear the community apart. Like, and we'll open the door to, pro- like, I'm not convinced that, I mean, she made it sound like this is the thing that if we get this wrong, yeah. the, the people in Astoria will never get justice. And like, you know, I've, I've been, I've been to Queens, I, you know, I've been to Long <laughs> Island city. Like I've been to Astoria. I've been to Jackson yeah. Heights. I like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not. The Iron Dome is not number one yeah, on their yeah, issue bucket yeah, list or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. If you're, if, when you're there in, in, in those. If it's against the NYPD, they'll be like, oh, hell yeah. That sounds tight. That sounds tight. You're like, what are you. We could use one of those. What are you concerned about? Well, I can't get to work because the fucking subways are flooded and there are rats like eating my children. Okay. But what about the Iron Dome though? Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> is that like a anti-rat? Yeah contraption can i put it on my kid um so (laughs) to stop protect them from being stopped and frisked by nypd so there's that but then it's like so like so then i've i have seen a lot of criticism of the left and people on the left being like you know aoc's position was cowardly but but Mm -hmm. it's you know here's the thing that i feel like a lot of the left doesn't understand let me make my face real big to deliver the point i'm just gonna lean into it is uh Governing is hard, man. And so, like, <laughs> um, you know, is it like what was what did you say the vote was? It was like seven thousand to four twenty to nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, About yeah, that, it was four twenty to sixty nine, brah. No, it was, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So with that kind of like lopsided margin, does it like okay? So she says no and still loses, and it doesn't matter, and it doesn't move anything forward. And it doesn't change anything about the outcome. It's just like, like talk about performative politics. So I sort of like, I understand the critique that like, if you're going to take, you know, if you're going to take a principal position, take a principal position, but like, there's just so many votes that go through these people and, you know, that they have to take on and, you know, and it's all this, it's so convoluted of like the amendment and the writer and the amendment of the main bill. And so then you don't like the amendment, but you like the main bill. And so you don't vote on the, how do you vote? You know? So it's like, it's all mm-hmm. a fucking mess. So I just like, I, I'm, I, I, I have a hard time getting too upset about uh, her choice, given that there, there is no scenario that affects the outcome one way or another. Do you know what I mean? Yes. For sure. And and it is exactly. It's a symbolic vote. It's a protest vote. And honestly, given the history, like these votes are usually like unanimous. Right. So even having nine Congress people voting against it is progress on this issue, uh, which is sad to say. But I think we do have to remember as for those of us who, you know, have been working around and fighting for and actually some people who've been living in occupation, uh, but around the Palestinian, you know, Palestinian human rights, it's like, it feels like such a no brainer, but we have to remember that like, it's not a no brainer in Congress. It's a third rail issue. You get hammered for this issue. Uh, And AOC has spoken out about it. And I think, you know, it's bizarre to me though, because in that statement, it was like any of her constituents who are like super pro Zionist, let's say like, they're going to read that and be like, Oh, you are against the occupation. Why are you, you know what I mean? Like they, they're not, she's not currying favor with anybody with the present vote. So, and, and I mean, I don't understand. I, don't, I mean, you and I have talked about this before on the show. I mean, it made a, may, 
uh, newer listeners may have to go all the way back to the live episode that we did with with Matt Lieb and Noah Barrows, Barrows Friedman about this. But yeah. like, I believe that the Israel lobby is is all smoke and mirrors. Like, like you know, as a like, there's this perception. There's a there. People believe that there's a lot of Jewish money in support of the Israel lobby, and uh, I think that to some extent the the Israel lobby relies on anti-Semitic stereotypes in order to get people that 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 they have more money than they do. But you know what I mean? Like people are like, oh my God, these annoying Jews are going to be outside my office and they're going to be whining and they're going to argue me to death and it's going to be exhausting and they have a lot of money and so it's just easier not to fucking deal with them. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. First of all, I like I know you're joking, but I'm also like, no, dude. Like I, I just I don't want to flirt with that because we know that's not true, right? Um, I don't know. I think we also have to be careful. You know, we can't say like Jewish money versus like an, the Israeli lobby, right? That's some like that's what like Ilhan Omar gets hammered for. So I don't right, know. but I, I like, mean, so, but my point is that like like I think I don't I think it would be difficult. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it would be difficult to pinpoint an election that was won or lost because of the Israel lobby. Well, actually, someone in the comments said, Gator on YouTube says, now audit Nina Turner's loss. And that actually is an election where you might be able to point to the Israeli lobby because there was a whole lot of money from pro-Israel groups running ad after ad, millions of dollars poured into that race. And she didn't win. She didn't, excuse me, she did not lose by that much, right? It was something like 40,000 votes, not a lot winnable. Yeah. But with that amount of money funneling in, and that's where you get to sort of, that's the rub of like, the, and the power of something like the Israel lobby, which is, Look, here's a random congressional seat in fucking Ohio. We're pouring everything in there because they don't want that 420 to 9 to be, you know, 419 to 10. They're deathly afraid of that, even though everyone's protecting their asses on this. So it's just it is I, I hear you. But I'm just I also think ultimately and I think right wingers have even said this and I don't think they're wrong. AOC's gunning for Schumer's spot. And and like if. She's got to at least at least handhold some of the people who are scared about her positions on Palestine. She's got to handhold them if she wants to be a senator in New York. you got to do that. So I get it. I'm not proud of her on this. I don't think it's make or break. I don't think she's like a fraud squad, but I understand it. Um, we got to move on. Um, uh, so Charmed Chaos few comments charmed chaos on arizona i'm in arizona and this is an old grift here nothing more oh god i feel like there's a whole vox explainer of the history of audits in arizona um willie gus what's up on twitch outcome is not the point yeah exactly outcome is not the point of that audit uh we will see in texas texas is funny because they're already passing all the voter suppression law so it's like homie like you are you're already doing it you don't need to prove anything <laughs> like what else do you want to do um on aoc vitingale on youtube weeping doesn't get ish done votes do disappointed with the present vote right on um trans vampire carmilla on on twitch she's done some brave things i'll wait and see on this absolutely it's one of those it's a sisyphean task when it comes to palestine and uh, we got to keep pushing uh you guys you can also tip this show for you patreons like skittish folks we're on venmo we're on cash app 
TBR dash live on Venmo, TBR live on Cash App. Anything helps. Thank you all so much for doing that. Uh, And once again, we have an extended conversation if you do become a patron. So get on that right now. Um, But let's let's get into our main sitch for the week. It's been 10 years since the Occupy Wall Street movement popped off in September of 2011. Uh, Arguably, it changed the world, even if it was leaderless and didn't have concrete demands. This is the sitch. And joining us, he's a musician and social justice educator who's been doing racial justice and anti-oppression work since his teenage years. His new project, Chardi Kala, focuses on sick devotional music and Punjabi anthems of rebellion. Please welcome my Hi. good friend, Sunny Singh. Hi, so Sunny. Thank you for being here. Um, I am super super excited to have you in this conversation um, because you were in Zuccotti Park in those early days uh, in September, popping off on September 17, 2011. Um, before I ask you exactly how that was and what you did, I want to just get, set the scene for folks who maybe weren't around at that time. So, Kids, um, pull up a chair. Ch- children, gather around. I'll be maskless and spit on you like your uh, anti-vax Grandma has a story middle school about teacher. the dark ages of 10 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm, Obama mm-hmm. was the president. So, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Grandma right here was abroad. I was living in Buenos Aires. Uh, You're no, still abroad. I Am why. I right, everybody? Hey. Pew, pew, pew. I'm sorry. I was abroad, and I've never wanted to be back in the States. Like, I was so happy to be gone, like, leaving the States. Everyone should try to live out of the country at some point, if you can. Uh, you know, you can survive on little and um, just, you know, find a rich uh, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the point is... I really wanted to be back in the States because it was popping off. It was amazing. It was this like anti-capitalist swell and movement. So because of a little call to action from the magazine Adbusters, which is an anti-capitalist sort of culture magazine, beautiful artwork, et cetera. They called everyone to converge on Wall Street on September 17th, 2011. This is in the middle of the Great Recession, right? So kids and people are, are losing work, losing savings, seeing that like, they're not able to uh, find any jobs after getting out of school. Um, and it happened. People converged on Zuccotti Park and camped there for two months until they were violently evicted, violently evicted by police on November 17th. But we're talking food banks, libraries, sanitation crew, over 100 working groups, daily general assemblies, and a movement that really spread across the country. So sunny you and I were like in the global justice and anti-war movements leading up to that. When it started to pop off, what did you think? And when you went, like, what were you greeted with? I mean, I have to be honest and say, I think I and a lot of my peers and comrades were a little bit dismissive at first. Um, We were like, what are these, what are these youngins up to? Uh, I mean, we were, we were young-ish at the time, but I was in my early thirties. I think I was 30 or 31, maybe 30 when it started. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was maybe just going to be like a little protest. There was like that bloom, what do they call it? Bloomberg city or something that happened a little bit before that. It wasn't called Bloomberg city, but it was some, some sort of like similar encampment kind of thing. Um, and so I, I didn't really take it super seriously at first, um, but 
very quickly, like within a few days, it kind of became this magnetic force uh, in New York City uh, in in terms of everyone who is uh, active around any social and economic justice issues. It sort of became this it became this hub. Um, and, uh, and, and so I decided to go check it out. I think the first day that I went, I can't, and maybe it was like the 19th or so, uh, of September. I, I went with my trumpet. Um, uh, Red Baroth was a newish band at the time that I was playing in. And that's mostly what I was focusing on, but I was still doing a lot of education and training work as well. A little bit less organizing, but, but a touch. Um, and, uh, music is arguably the most important piece. Let's, let's all acknowledge that, music really does make any demonstration or protest. Yeah, and that's and that's going. honestly how I thought I would engage. I was like, okay, cool, it's like a little mobilization. Let's let's bring my let's bring my trumpet or my dole, which is a big Punjabi drum that I play, and like lift people's spirits. I'll I'll get a good little trumpet workout playing outside and uh, and then go on about <laughs> about the real work. And then very quickly it became clear that this was something very different um, and and something that was uh, quite a, a sort of intersectional cross movement hub that was attracting tons of us uh, in into the fold. I just really have to play this clip from you. This is Sonny a few weeks after, I believe, the start of Occupy Wall Street. Um, he's not aged a day in 10 years, clearly, but here he is explaining what it, what it's like down there on the ground. I'm pretty inspired to see all these young people that have been that, that have been sleeping out there, coming here every day, like such a broad-based group of folks um, representing lots of different movements, and some people that have no connection to movements or activism that are just coming um, under this "We Are the 99% thing." I think it's really smart. I think it's really inspiring, um, and I think it's the kind of hope and energy that we need in our social justice struggles right now. So it's exciting that this this. South Asians for Justice mm-hmm. contingent is uh, is headed there together. Yeah, right hell yeah. And and so just quickly, something I didn't mention is this is where if you guys have heard like, you know, the one percent, the ninety eight percent, that was not popularized by Bernie. That was popularized by Occupy Wall Street. Bernie picked up on that, right? Um, this entire idea of income inequality that we really we'd been we'd spent like what was it like ten years at that point not talking about like economic justice because the war on terror had really taken up all the air in the room and stopping the war on terror, taking up all the social justice struggles in a lot of ways. Um, but who were the people on the ground? And I don't know, NATO, maybe you can also weigh in on like, what are, who were who the kinds of people that you saw? Did they seem green? And then how did you like insert yourself as someone who is a more seasoned organizer? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I would totally agree with, with your assessment that the, the, I mean, we'll talk more about the the impact and the legacy, but, you know, there really wasn't a lot of anti-capitalist uh, politics at the forefront of sort of social justice spaces in that in that moment. Um, I, I'm a uh, like NATO, I'm a former union organizer as well. That was my first job in New York City. And uh, and and I feel like the labor movement just couldn't. Do you want a job? I'll, I will hire you. If you want to move <laughs> when I when I when I moved to New York, actually, um, I applied for like 35 jobs. I was, I was 23 and only two of them were at labor unions. And those are the only two job offers I got. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm working in labor. Meant to be. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think labor wasn't really able to 
to accomplish really bringing that class politics and that anti-capitalist politics to a newer generation of, of activists. Um, and until Occupy kind of popped off, it was it was a void in many ways. Um, it was something that our generation, who was in many ways radicalized by the anti-globalization movement and, um, you know, I was active in Students Against Sweatshops in college and the whole, you know, Seattle, yeah. Global Justice, Zapatistas, right? Like an- anti-capitalism, a-, a world without that, that puts people before profit. That was what we were about. You know, that was that was front and center and what we were trying to do. And I think for many, many years, that wasn't front and center in, in social justice spaces. And yeah, I mean, I, I think when I got there, I was in some ways very underwhelmed, but in, in some ways just so excited by the by the potential because there were so many, as I was saying in the in the 10 years ago clip, there was a lot of people there, uh, and maybe even the majority of people there were brand new to activism. Um, and I think many yeah. feeling very hopeful and optimistic after Obama's election in 2008, and then just seeing uh, just how false of a promise that was, right? I was jaded enough in 2008 mm. to, to be like, you know, I was like... I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, Barack Obama got elected. That that's kind of where I was at. I was like, "Fuck the Democrats! They're they're a pro corporate party." But yes. like, maybe this is some symbolic progress. But I think this was a generation of people a little bit younger than me who were really inspired and excited, and then saw like, "Oh, as long as our entire political system is controlled by investment banks, controlled by the wealthy, controlled by the 1%, we're not getting anywhere, right? Um, And so that was like the very basic unifying call, which I think is such a compelling one. Um, And it really started bringing out a lot of us who were, I I don't know if I was seasoned at that point, but a lot of us who were in it, right? Um, From grassroots organizations, from labor, um, from anti-police brutality movements, from racial justice movements. Um, We all started kind of making space there and and building together. Yeah. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask, and Nato, feel free to jump in wherever, but the unique part of this was that... My burning question is, Sonny, did you join the drum circle? You know, I was just thinking about... uh, how now neither of y'all were in new york but like a few i was i I got to new york oh so do you remember when the like when and how long the drummers could play like became this big source of conflict i mean there was like meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting about this and then there was and then there was video like there was there was i remember there was like like a huge debate broke out in the general assembly because people were kept donating money about whether to spend the money on upgrading the gray water system for the like people's kitchen or to help buy new skins for the drums and the drum circle was like we have been maintaining the so <laughs> and I, so i had like I was, uh, I was. We've been drinking the gray water. The gray water. We're a little bit loopy. So at the time, I was on tour with Laughter Against the Machine. It was me and W. Kamau Bell and Janine Brito, and um, and on September seventeenth, twenty eleven, we were in Madison, Wisconsin, on tour um, at, uh, and it was the, and we were doing like the premise of our tour was to go to places where there was political shit happening. But there sort of like wasn't like it was it at the time going into it, it felt like a, like a dark moment. You know what I mean? Like we were, you know, in Wisconsin, Scott Walker had just done all this legislation to bust the unions. The Tea Party was insurgent. And like the, the whole frame of American politics was around the debt. 
and like we can't do anything good because mm-hmm. of the debt. And like there was this horrible racist backlash in Arizona with mm-hmm. Joe Arpaio and and uh, SB 1070. And so we, I mean, that that was sort of the impetus of the tour. Was like, man, these people are catching hell in all over the country. We have to go out and give them a laugh. And so we're in. Yeah. We were in Madison, Wisconsin, when they launched the recall, the ultimately unsuccessful recall of Scott Walker, and. We, you know, all, all, we had a tour documentary, which you can see it's streaming on Means TV if you want to watch it. And on September 17th, there's footage of us sitting on the stage after the show chatting and being like, oh, well, you know, we're, we have another six weeks of the tour. No more news in America. This is it. We don't have to write <laughs> any new jokes for the next six weeks. And then a week late. So then that day Occupy starts a few days later. uh you know the the police violence is escalating with the with the kettling of protesters and the pepper spray and then i so vividly remember two things happening at the same time one was the the we are the 99% tumbler launched um where people were doing those uh like doing the tumbler of the picture of them with the sign about like what they were facing that was so gutting and then there was one day on Twitter where it spread from New York. And I just remember sitting on Twitter, watching the feed in real time of like, Occupy mm. Albuquerque, we're meeting here tomorrow. Occupy Chicago, mm. we're meeting here tomorrow. Occupy Detroit, we're meeting here tomorrow. And it fucking spread across the country, o- literally overnight. I ended up visiting, I think, six or seven cities. I know I got to New York, San Francisco, Oakland, obviously Portland, D.C., and New Orleans. And so I got to see like the national variation and some of the the scene um and but when we were i was in new york i was with vernon reed the grammy winning guitarist of living color who had very specific critique of the drum circle technique (laughs) um uh he sonny what was your i mean sorry go ahead nato what was his critique was like you know people wouldn't think this but i fuck with the drum circle but you you need to have one guy who has the beat and if they they don't have one guy who has the beat right now, and it's just upsetting to me. Which is, in fact, sort of a metaphor. a little microcosm for maybe the entire movement. Yes, it's a it's a metaphor for the whole movement of no one necessarily leading the beat, no one leading the drum circle. The biggest thing about Occupy was to me was that as someone who kind of came from an anti-authoritarian like directly democratic sort of political tendency and a lot of like mentors of mine folks like David Graeber you know the anthropologist who wrote that giant book Debt who who, uh, sadly did pass away recently um, but he was so pivotal in that and these folks were like facilitating and leading this basically um, these assemblies and there wasn't a cadre that was like, next, we're going to march here and we're going to make these demands. It was just sort of like organic and it was being facilitated. And that's what was unique about it, too, was that it wasn't like the answer coalition giving everyone the same sign or telling everyone what the next demand was. How what was what did you notice about that, Sonny? And like what were like the constraints with those that kind of general assembly other than a very long discussion about the drum circle. Yeah. I love the drum circle metaphor as a, as a sort of litmus test about the effectiveness of direct democracy. Uh, But, but I, I do feel like it, you know, like how good are the drummers, right? Like how much have they been practicing? Like, uh, what what is their sort of like creative approach? What you know, like I think all those same questions very much impacted the effectiveness of Occupy structures. First, the General Assembly structure, which is 
you know, the sort of like massive meeting run through something called the people's mic, where we would say something because no amplification was allowed without a permit, uh, without a permit, of course. So, you know, some you have to speak in these little sentence chunks. And after after like three, four days, everyone just like talked like that all the time. You just you always talked in like four word <laughs> fragments. It just became a habit. Um and uh, and then eventually it morphed into the Spokes Council, which was a total shit show uh, like that. That had gr- it was a great idea to transform into maybe a more effective decision making process. But but, you know, I, I am not one that feels like the direct democracy, this like guise of leaderlessness or or this or this uh, aspiration of leaderlessness or more horizontal structure was at all a failing of Occupy. It, it's definitely something that drew me and many others in. I think it's something that was so special about it. Um, and I don't think Occupy had to be like it wasn't a campaign. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. a campaign with like uh, uh, four goals that were going to be accomplished through this particular strategy. It was a space, right? Um, and it mm-hmm. was a space in which lots of different campaigns were possible, right? And lots of different organizations, labor, grassroots, uh, new organizations that were sort of, uh, that didn't even have names at the time that were percolating uh, right there in Zuccotti Park uh, could could build their own campaigns. And there was space for, for all of that, right? Under this banner of, of we are the 99%. So I, I, I didn't think that was the, the, the primary deficit. Um, same with not having demands. I didn't think that was a deficit at all either. In fact, I thought it was, mm. I thought it was a great thing, right? Because um, as soon as you have demands, you're 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 limited in a way, right? You kind of become you kind of mm. become a campaign, even though that's not really what you are, right? Um, I don't know that Occupy was a movement, but it was a it was a it was a space that brought lots of social and economic justice movements and organizations and campaigns together uh, in in such a special way. I don't think we've seen anything like that in our lives in the United States quite in that way. And of course, part of the context, too, is popping off, uh, you know, being inspired by what happened in the Arab Spring, right? Like Occupy was dire- like directly, in, in, in a sense, the New York's response or the United States response um, to what was happening uh, in, in Egypt and Tunisia and, and beyond these incredible uh, people's movements, these revolutions. Um, and I think we got like a little taste of what was possible at Occupy and then, you know, a lot of really hard shit, too. I, yeah. I, I agree with what um, what Sonny's saying. And, the you know, I think the like when people are like, what did it accomplish? I mean, what it accomplished is that like you saw it was one of those moments. And we saw this again with the Battle of Seattle in 99 as well, like from almost from one week to the next public opinion, public opinion in America flipped. So like it went from like inequality being nowhere in the national conversation to being the top issue. It like you, like you can see that, you know, when they talk about like millennials and like rising percentages of Americans being sour on capitalism, that's Occupy. Like it, it completely Mm -hmm. changed the political conversation in terms of how directly you can critique capitalism. And so that's sort of like how movements go is, you know, it's not like, there's not always, sometimes it's a, it's, you know, that the way that I mean, this is one of the things that as a lifelong trade unionist that I really wrestled with is like that there's a there, there are people who are like me, very steeped in like structure based organizing that's very methodical. And then sometimes there's an eruption and you just have to there, you know, what what theorists would call the moment of the whirlwind. 
um, and you just have to chase it. Mm-hmm. One thing about about Oak, you know, I was in the Bay for a lot of it, and there was that whole thing where there was Occupy Oakland, and there were the police, there was the police skirmish, you know, violence that where the they, um, you know, shot a tear gas canister and cracked the skull of that Iraq veteran, and and then two yes. weeks later we had the general strike, and you know, the Oakland general strike was one of the greatest days of my life. Like it was mm. like the like seeing the police flee the city it was like 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 just people were standing there screaming at the cops it was like oakland was a liberated zone um yeah and i think they learned their lesson uh because 10 years later they, yeah and we've solved the problem they, with policing in oakland so we've, mission accomplished yeah, everyone exactly. <laughs> but i i have a lot of thoughts on you know about how this movement related to the Obama presidency, um, how it related to movements that came after it. I actually disagree a little bit, Sonny, with uh, with the idea that it didn't need demands. But I want to talk all about that in the bonus episode for patrons only. You guys, join us there. We're going to be there at about 6.15. Um, so go to patreon.com slash Room. We're going to talk about more of the legacy, more of the lessons. I'm going to sort of say my piece um, around around thoughts on Occupy. And and it's just endlessly fascinating to me. So I'm so grateful to have you here, Sonny, and to have you here, NATO. Sonny, we have one more segment. Will you stay? Sure. Before you plug. Okay, thank God. Yeah. Whew, I was about to say goodbye. Whew, ha, he. Okay, so... And this is for everybody in the comments section. So this, obviously, another thing that happened this week was that we had, like, many more revelations about Facebook. You know, the uh, 1984 Orwellian overlords that own WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook.com. Turns out they know that their content is highly traumatic for teenagers. Of course it is. Uh, They know that their attempts to rein in any of the anti-vax or vaccine misinformation did not work, that all kinds of ivermectin message bores flourished. Um, They've known all of this stuff. They're not backing down. But I want to imagine, what would it be like if we didn't have Facebook? This is a world without Facebook. Okay, so I want you all to imagine what it would be like if we didn't have this tool. And NATO, I know it's your favorite platform. (laughs) Because where else can you post recipes, flaunt all the, the, the things that you made, talk about your kids and how cute they are and how woke they are, um... And get like cocktail recommendations. I feel like you're just like you're like you'd be the. I would worry about you if we didn't have. Facebook. You know what I mean? Like what what is finally going to get me off Facebook? Quite frankly, Francesca, it's not it's it's not the 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 destruction of democracy and the enabling of white supremacy. What there's two things that are happening recently. One is that the news feed was tweaked so that I keep seeing co- comments that my friends are like. I don't need to see my friends trolling marjorie taylor green's facebook page i don't know why it's serving me that (laughs) and then the other thing is i'm getting bombed with friend friend requests inviting me to a private whatsapp group for women looking for sex and i'm not interested in that either so uh i'm getting a lot of those friend requests i don't believe they're all real quite frankly (laughs) i think i think that might be yeah no it is 
It's very catfishy. Also, like, you get random WhatsApp messages that are like, uh, have you bought Ray-Bans lately? And you're like, what? Why am I getting this? They're only $39. Like, ugh. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, but your life would be different. The world would be different. Obviously, Duterte, probably not in office. Obviously. There's that. Yep. Um, I would say my life would be different in that I am never on Facebook. I do not like Facebook. I left Facebook after Cambridge Analytica. I'm still on Instagram. So, and I, and I never know what to publish. I never know. Cause I'm like never with people. I'm literally working. I'm heating up leftovers. My life is, this is my life. So I think if without Facebook and without Instagram, I'd feel better. I feel better. I would not get booked on comedy shows as much because, my God, you guys need to know the Facebook Messenger is how comics talk to one another because it's the perfect, like, I don't really know you well enough to give you my number or my email, but you can message me. So that it's like the it. there's a lot of people you want to keep at Facebook Messenger distance. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we would lose that gain the world, lose that kind of impersonal personability of Messenger. Sunny? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, on the personal level, I think uh, I would forget about a lot of memories on this day 11 years ago, on this day 13 years ago, because we've all been on this damn thing so long. But like at this point, that's my favorite part about it. I mean, it's it's creepy as hell, too. But it's kind of lovely to see these to, to get the snapshot, right? Of oh like, God. oh, I forgot all about that. So, on a personal level, that would be a loss. Maybe one, or, you know, maybe my brain would develop new capacity to remember things if it. Yeah, have you'd to remember rely. people in your life. Be like, oh yeah, Not the Facebook post. You know, Sonny, I, I, I have to say, I, I appreciate why you would, why you would like that. I don't feel that way because whenever I get the Facebook memories, literally every single day, it's. On this day, you were doing something with Francesca. Literally every day, <laughs> at some point in the past, I was doing something with Francesca. That is that a, sounds that's, lovely. That's great. See, that's right, Sonny. Sonny and I have made great memories. What about you and I, Nato? We got a hundred and six episodes of this podcast. Yeah, I've got a lot of memories. Many of, of them you were doing on doing stuff with you. So I don't. I don't need Facebook to remind me that I did shit with you. i it didn't happen unless facebook remixes it into one of those like you know remember like when you like nato's yes exactly anyway uh a world without facebook you guys what what are your some of your comments have i seen anything um i'll read him a little oh wait hang on oh Okay, so some of you are going to forget all of the birthdays. That's true. That's all Facebook is for, is to collect. <laughs> I collect birthday wishes just like little gems, you know, like, oh, yes. And I remember if you didn't fucking wish me a happy birthday. I fucking remember. Uh, I, um, what, I'll, I'll, what I will miss is what the algorithm thinks that I am based on the ads that I get serviced and, like, trying to imagine. Because, <laughs> like, like, if I work backwards from the ads that show up in my feed, like, and I'm like, how am I getting targeted with this? According to the Facebook algorithm... I am an overweight, HIV-positive black man who also supports the Israeli military and is an alcoholic and likes wild horses. <laughs> so I was like, this is just fascinating. I wonder, and Noam Chomsky. The wild horses. Yeah, and, and Bill Moyers. It was just like a very like weird mix of things. Uh, uh, so so funny. Uh, that's fun. That's a fun game for me. 
Oh my god. Amazing. Uh well, this has been lovely. We've got more coming up, y'all. So, Sunny, now please plug plug your new album. Tell us about it. Yeah, so um I am wrapping up my first uh solo album called Chardikala, uh spelled C H A R D I. K-A-L-A. Um, and uh, yeah, I've released four singles so far. You can find them under my own name on all the streaming platforms. Um, I'm on Instagram at I am Sunny Singh, Twitter, etc. All the same. I am Sunny Singh. Um, yeah, check it out. And uh, music video is dropping in two to three days. In fact, a new one. Ooh, amazing. Yeah. So beautiful. Everybody needs to listen to Sunny's music. Uh, and he's going to be hopefully going on tour. So you could check him out in your city. Um, but yes, definitely listen to him. And Sonny, we will see you very soon. Thank you for being here. And Nato Green, what you got to plug, my friend? Uh, people can follow me at Nato Green on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. I won't. Uh, apparently, there are some Facebook things, but uh, we don't need to talk about it. I'm not. Uh, and But I have a couple albums, albums available on Bandcamp. And in November, uh, people in San Francisco can see me doing a, a double bill with Liz Winstead at the Verity Club. Yes, I love that. I'm so excited for that show. All right, NATO, take very good care. See you soon in the bonus episode. And thank you all for being here and for sticking around. Thank you to the comments, to the super chats. Leomani Mejia on YouTube. Let's just move the 99% into the 1%. LOLJK. I don't know what that means. I feel like we like take over their homes. So hopefully. I always want to every time I go on a walk through like the nice part of LA. And I'm like, I want to live there. Nobody's there. Um, fat guy named Tiny, the decentralization and organ- organic nature of the Occupy movement was both the greatest strength and biggest weakness of the Occupy movement. Very true. I would agree with that. Typical Canadian on YouTube says, and it spread to other countries. Totally. We, we've covered that. And I think there was a relationship between these movements that we didn't, we don't fully appreciate. And it never gets covered in the news. Um, Pat Stevens, who hates buttermilk. I love that name. And why would you? Uh, I'm here for the jam session, fart song and bongos. Hell yeah. You fart song coming up. Um, Lu Kong on YouTube, not having demands make you rudderless. And ultimately, all that has to happen is waiting you out. Good point. Touche. Uh, I like that tough love. Um, and thank you guys so much uh, for all of your support. And with that, this, for everybody who's given to this show this week, this is the fart song. Thank you to the new patrons at 10 bucks or more who got this shout out. Moon Dragon. Oh my God. Thank you. And to Ken O for joining the innermost cabal. You're so generous. That means a lot. It helps us do this content. To the big tippers, Karen K, Joseph L. This song is so dumb. Uh, to the Twitch subs, resubscribe, Hippie Spot. Thank you, Hippie Spot. Thank you to Thrice3, the Diabetic86, K the Gentle Dragon, uh, Rainus Malik, Go Invest, Willie Gus, and Hippies Back. And thank you for the super chats, Randy Rubel, Trista LaCour, uh, and Ray Turner, the Bearded Dragon. You guys are so good. Everyone, just dance this out. We're going to the end. That was the fart song, and... 
As always, thank you to Becca Roofer, to Maximilian Inhoff, to Ellie Hoffman, and to Alexandra Orness. We stream every Sunday, 5, 8 Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. We are going to be here next Sunday with Zach Bornstein of Twitter and of comedy things, but you know him from Twitter, uh, and also David Dayen. Hopefully, we're going to have some news about that reconciliation bill, so be here next Sunday, 5, 8 Eastern on October 3rd. And remember, y'all, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. We'll see you in the bonus.